my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive, six, seven, eight, feeling great. Hello, BYWG Tribe. Here is a quick peek at our supplement product and book of the month for February 2020. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is Vitamin D3 Boost. This is our newest advanced formulation, combining all the benefits of Vitamin D3, Vitamin K2, Magnesium, and MCT oil. The 10% discount code for the entire month is, and it's all lowercase, VITD10. The product of the month for February is Juve, Red Light Therapy Devices. I personally own the Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them both daily. The book of the month for February is Cancer and the New Biology of Water by Dr. Tom Cowan. Hands down, my personal favorite book of 2019. Keep in mind, all the links, discount codes, and special offers for the product, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes on iTunes, post on social media, and our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer and I am your co-host. Today I have the distinct pleasure to invite back El Rust from Primal Blueprint and author of the Paleothyroid Solution and her newest release, Confident as F.U. Blank K. <laughs> Today we are going to have a chat about confidence. El, let me run through your bio and we'll dive right in. El is the author of the Confident as F.U.C.K. Man, I just want to say that word, but I'm going to refrain and the best-selling health book, The Paleothyroid Solution, which has helped thousands of people around the world reclaim their health. Elle is also a TV film writer and the show host for the popular Primal Blueprint podcast started by New York Times best-selling author Mark Sisson. You can learn more about her at lrust.com. That's E-L-L-E-R-U-S-S dot com. How are you? Nice to have you back again. Oh, thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. So simple question for you. Elle, what motivated you to write this book? So because we will keep it Disney friendly, it's F-U asterisk K, we'll say confident as F maybe moving forward. Um, so so I've always been a confident person. However, that doesn't mean there hasn't been times along the way that it's been challenged. But what I noticed over time and people probably listening, if you look back and you see the people that have been brought into your life over time, there might be a theme. The theme for me is that people always came to me seeking confidence, whether it was they needed to speak up to someone that was bullying them or, a, you know, whether it be a, a family member or a colleague at work, whether it be they needed my confidence and, you know, encouragement in declaring their worth because they were going into a job interview and wanted to get the salary they wanted. I noticed that people kept coming to me for these things. And now that might seem a little bit like a one-sided paradigm, like, oh, all these people are coming to me because I have this great confidence. And that's true. However, I learned a lot from them. It is a, it is a give and take. And the pitfalls that highly confident people have are really displayed when people who are seeking the confidence have the other side of it. For example, a lot of confident people have pitfalls and those are, we don't like to be vulnerable in any way. We don't want to show any kind of weakness. We won't express feelings and certain things to people because again, we are alpha and not interested in like appearing weak in any way. And that is a pitfall because it makes us inaccessible. And so people want to be like us. They look up to us, you know, they they want us to be in charge, but at the same time, too, they kind of sometimes can't really get to know us uh, because we're not accessible in that way. Whereas other people, you might refer to them as beta, although that might be considered a negative term, but I don't, I don't think it is. These people are very open to receiving. They're better receivers, whether it's of compliments or receivers of help from others, whereas highly confident people sometimes, and I don't mean control freak, but I mean, you know, I'll do it because I'll do it better or, oh, you need something to happen here. I'll just do it instead of, you know, helping the person achieve it. Um, we are not good receivers as they are. They also happen to be little bit more diplomatic, highly confident people can sometimes be reactive versus thinking before they speak. That's something I've had to learn. And so there's a lot of things we can learn from them. And so it's important to share that dynamic. So that's really why I wrote it, because I was compelled by just all of the people that have come to me. And, you know, when I get emails from people or DMs about the podcast, the main thing I hear is I love your no BS attitude and I love how authentic you are. 
And that's the thing about confident people. They are the most authentic and authenticity reigns supreme in life. And everybody should want to attain it. Now, I'm not talking about people attaining performance confidence like I have. You, you, this confident people can be the quietest people in the room. You can be the most confident stay-at-home mother, but you're going to have to still have some confidence because it affects every area of our life from the bedroom to the boardroom to, let's say, our stay-at-home and wife. You might have to stand up to some child's mother at a PTA meeting or who knows what, and it does really matter. And so everybody needs it. This book is for people that really need confidence, but also for confident people who don't think they need any work. I guarantee that after they read my book, they'll see where their pitfalls lie. And so confident as F to me means all encompassing inside and out. And again, not about getting up on stage or, you know, becoming a podcaster, but having a general sense of comfortability with oneself wherever you go and also a general sense of that you will prevail. Well, did, did you just there describe what confidence is or do you have a, a specific definition for confidence? Well, confidence to me is interchangeable with self-esteem because there are people that are confident in an ability about a thing but not confident in other areas. So one of the examples in my book is a guy who is an anesthesiologist and a deep sea diver. Uh, he is a spear fisherman. These two things are extremely confident hobby and profession, right? You have to put people to sleep and wake them up after surgery. Big liability, right? You got to stick needles into people's spines and necks. That is a huge liability. You better be confident, right? You also, the same person, goes out in the middle of the ocean and wrangles a 150-pound sea creature, you know, with sharks, you know, with their bare hands, basically. Again, high levels of confidence. But this guy, John, could not muster up the courage to speak up to talk to his neighbor. And what happened was is his neighbor, who he liked, was very, very, very nice guy, as far as he knew. He had great interactions with his neighbor. But he expressed to me that he was like, well, you know, my neighbor is cleaning their house and they're doing it pressure washed and I just cleaned my entire house. And I mean, what if they, they're going to get stuff all over my house? And I just, I don't, you know, then I'll have to clean it again. And he was so annoyed and back and I said, why don't you just go talk to your neighbor and say, you know, Hey man, I hear you're going to clean your house. I just wash mine. Is there any way that, uh, you know, you can get your workers to cover it up with tarps or whatever? He's like, well, uh, that sounds really easy. I mean, I just, I go, why are you afraid to talk to your neighbor? He's like, well, I don't want him to think I'm a jerk. I'm like, well, in your interactions with him, has he ever been a jerk? Would you? I mean, he, you've had nice interactions. He's like, no, no, he's a really, really nice guy. I go, so you're kind of afraid that suddenly your neighbor's going to turn into an a-hole, be, be a jerk, and now it's going to have some contentious, you know, neighborhood <laughs> situation all over the pressure washing of one's house. And so anyway, we, we talked around it. I shared the conversation in the book. And finally, he did muster up. To, this had been going on in his head for a, a, a week, though. This <laughs> this potential fight that he'd have, you know, projecting, you know, discord in the neighborhood, all of these things that were just not showing itself to be a, a really pr a probable. And so finally, he did. He went to his neighbor. He said, exactly. It's like a one sentence thing. Like, hey, man, here you're washing your house. Uh, I just washed mine. If there's any way your guys can protect it, that'd be great. He goes and he does that. The neighbor's like, oh, my God, sure. And if for some reason they get stuff all over your house, I'll have them clean yours, too. And he came back and he was like, oh, my God, that was so easy. That was so amazing. And I was like, right. And for a week or two, you sat in your mind, projected these negative feelings, and he couldn't speak up. So you can be confident in your ability about a thing and still lack confidence on the inside. It's not going to work because – it's going to seep into some area and his was communication and also relationships with other people, you know, even romantic relationships, not speaking up for what he wanted. Yet the guy was so confident on the outside or confident in his abilities, in his job and in his hobby. So you can be also a person that's on stage talking to 50,000 people, but you get off the stage and you're the most insecure person in the world on the inside. That's not confidence either. So it's really interchangeable with confidence and self-esteem, and it's it's really, really important. They're usually happier, more productive, more successful people, and also, again, the most authentic. And I would argue that everybody needs to step up in this arena because you're not going to get what you want in life unless you speak up.
and you're going to have a regret later on. I should have said that. I should have stuck up for myself there. Or, you know, I should have asked for that raise. And so let's not go forward in regrets. Let's go forward and try to create our own reality with a new sense of confidence. And everybody needs work with this, even highly confident people. Right. And and 9.9 times out of 10, once you're done speaking up or speaking your mind, you say to yourself, my God, that was so much easier than I ever imagined or built it up to be. <laughs> yep. So, you know, maybe the, the title isn't Disney friendly, but do you see this book as a book for everyone or did you target athletes, women, men, entrepreneurs, health fanatics, children? You know, you, uh, where do you see this book slotting in? Oh, it's for everybody. I mean, I had someone who bought it for every member of their family, including their teenage kids. Um it is, again, you know, I had someone say, well, I'm already confident. Do I need this book? And I'm like, you, you probably really need this book because you're not aware of some of the pitfalls that come around. So, you know, what's great about this book is if you have people in your life that are downers or victims or, again, just simmering in a world of unhappiness and not getting ahead in life, then this is a great book to get for them because I'll call them on their, you know what, and you don't have to. <laughs> so, uh, and one of the things is that all of the books on confidence that are out there are very stale in terms of there's just filled with acronyms or like to-do lists. The importance of this book is that it's through true life relatable stories, tons of men and women stories in my book, um, specific things we've all been through. After reading each one of these little stories, you will have your aha moment and go, okay, I get it. I get what she's talking about. And so that was really important to me because I'm sort of tired of reading books where I'm like, give me, give me an example. Give me a real life, tangible example I can seek my teeth into. And that's what this book offers. So, you know, one, one of the questions I've written down to ask you are, and it's basically on the same line, just great stories in the book. There's quotes, examples, analogies. And I was going to ask you what your favorite one is, but I, I want to, I want to tell you the story that really hooked me in the book. And it's the story about, about your hand. You know, I've interviewed before. I've, I read your paleo thyroid solution. I'm familiar with what you do on a, you know, day in and day out basis through social media, but I had no idea, uh, nothing about your hand. So that really hooked me. Could you, could you share a little bit about that, that story in the book? Absolutely. Um, there, this is probably one of the best chapters in the book. It is a, it really speaks to what I was saying earlier about, so I'm highly confident in all of these areas, but there was one area over here that I thought I could kind of get away with, you know, and you can't because your whole life is connected. So if you've got one area of your life uh, that needs some work, it's going to seep into the other somehow. And this is uh, how it did for me. Now, this story is much more in depth, but I'll give the general cliff notes. Um, highly confident. I, after college, just wanted to apply to law schools. I was like, I'm, I plan on being an attorney, wanted to make a ton of money. My thing was like, I'm just going to rock it in the corporate world and kill it. And I'm going to be retired early and make a ton of money. And look, this is a lot of goal of a lot of people out there. I mean, you know, it's, that's not strange. I went forward and attaining that. I ended up being the seventh person hired at a, at a fast growing company. And I kept getting promoted and promoted. By the time I was 22, I was making six figures, had my own office, a collection of Armani suits. And I was well on my way to my next promotion, which would have been making a quarter of a million dollars at the age of 22. At that time, I had managed 100 men throughout the state of California, computer consultants who I contracted out on big projects for Fortune 500 companies. So I had a very mature, really amazing job. And I was the most successful person at my company who did what I did, even though I was 10, 15 younger, years younger than everybody. And it was like, I was on fire, Noah. You can only imagine. I was like, oh, man, by the time I'm 35, I'm going to have 10 Porsches in the driveway, be retired, have a house. This is locked in. My goals have worked. I am set. And then one day, my arms stopped working, literally stopped working. I, they had an incredible, I, I couldn't even like lift a cup. I uh, eventually became in chronic pain quite quickly. I had severe tendonitis and tenosynovitis in both of my arms, hands, wrists leading up to my neck. My, I couldn't even lift a fork to my mouth. I could not hold a cup in my hand. I couldn't wipe myself without pain. And I could not even talk with my hands. Now, if you're listening to this, you've probably adjusted your hands a million times. Maybe you're even laying on your side with your hand on your head. That's something you'll never see me do. So here I am, and I'm injured. 
And now I'm making a lot of money for the company. So they hired someone to be my hands for me part, part time. And it still didn't work. The inflammation was there. I still had to take notes. I still had to use my hands to get up in the morning, get myself ready for work. I couldn't, I had have to have friends come over and help me carry groceries back from the store, even just a block away, because I could not literally carry the, um, the, the bags back. And I, my numbs, my arms went numb every single night. I was in chronic pain 24 seven. And I just thought at the time, like, oh, well, you know, a doctor will figure it out and it'll go away. I didn't think that this would be a permanent injury, but it was. And so I am permanently disabled by the state of California. I'm rated at a 40% disability, which makes sense. We've got our upper body, our lower body, right? So I'm assuming if you're in a wheelchair, you're probably rated at 60% disabled. So here I am at 22. I um, have to leave my promising career. I now am sort of ruined for life because this is a hand-based world. I can't work at Starbucks. I can't be a checkout person at a grocery store. I can't be a waiter. Um, I can't even work a cash register, right? This world is a hand-based world. And if you can't use your hands eight hours a day, repetitively, five days a week, you're out of luck. People in wheelchairs have way more job prospects than someone who can't use their hands. So here I was like, Oh my, oh my God. And the first thought I had when I knew that this was it and I would never be able to return to this job or a job like it or any job using my hands, which is very frightening because there's very few jobs out there. Now, cut to, I do use my voice. Thank God I can write books with my voice and I can still use my hands. I'm not in chronic pain, so I don't want anyone to, to cry for me. It's been 20 years. I've done a lot of work. I still can't sleep on my sides. Um, I still have it. I'm not going to help you move. You know, there's certain things that I can't do, but I can play a game of ping pong with you, but I'm not going to be on the league and I'm certainly not going to pick up a tennis racket and, you know, play three times a week. But I'm at the point where I can use my arms repetitively for a limited time. So, here I am, and in this moment in my apartment, realizing that, oh my God, um, now what do I do with my life? And what am I going to do to support myself? And I had my first horrible moment of shame. And un shame is a sense of unworthiness, is really what that is. And it disables confidence. And my first thought was, oh my God, who is ever going to want me? What guy is ever going to want me? I can't be a mom. I can't dress kids for school. I can't cook dinner. I can't do, I mean, not that I was going to be signing up for a traditional, you know, wife role, let's say, but these are the things you think about as a woman when you're looking forward to getting married and moving forward in life. And I even thought to myself, I, I can't be a hypocrite. I don't know that I would choose a guy who had dead arms at the age of 22 and couldn't use them. I mean, I, I, I would be hypocritical to think that, you know, I mean, that's how I would think. So who's going to want me? And in that moment started a whole chain of events that led me down a path of intense shame. I was embarrassed about being, quote, defective and disabled. I didn't like the label disabled, although now I own it. I was horribly embarrassed that I was receiving private insurance money called long-term disability. Nobody wants that associated with themselves. You have to explain it. Some people think it's taxpayer-related. It's not. But again... What happened was, is when you have something you can't see, which is what I have, it's really hard in this world because people don't understand it. And that could go to rheumatoid arthritis or other things that people can't see. Um, and it was so debilitating. I did a speech at Paleo FX last year called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame, because my shame was more disabling than the actual disability itself. And here's how it screwed with my life. Relationships, a couple different ways. One, I had a set of friends who from back then knew about my injury, close family members. And I tried to keep that list of people who knew about my situation to a minimum. I, you know, you, as a disabled person, especially with something you can't see, you get very tired of people asking you questions about it. And then also they're looking at you with side eye because they almost don't believe it because they can't see it. So that's not cool either is to be questioned that it's even a legitimate thing. And so over time, I made this calculation where I was like, you know what? It's just better to not talk about it. I don't want the heat. It brings up the PTSD of even having it. I got to go through this whole sensational story. Then there's the other part where my friends who were 22 were like, oh, it's so cool. You're basically like won the insurance lottery. And now you can be in, you know, Beijing one week and Paris the next. And I was like, no, 
I'm, I'm effed here. I, I, what am I going to do with my life? Like, that sounds great, but how am I going to make more money than this disability check, which really only related to about $45,000 a year? Now, look, not even complaining. There's people that didn't have policies that had nothing. But in California, $45,000 doesn't go far, particularly when I had already racked up some debt I thought I would pay off because I was making six figures at the time. And now forging ahead to go, how am I going to ever make more than this? You know, and assuming with my shame of like, well, who's going to want me? I'm on my own. So what am I going to do? And so I just went forward. And, and, and again, here's how it ruined relationships friendships. So for example, not ruined, but I missed out on a lot of really great connections with people because I always stayed on the outside of groups because here was my philosophy. If they get to know me better and we get too close, they're going to ask me about what do I do for a living or how I make my money. And now I'm going to have to tell them this embarrassing story that I'm so ashamed about and I just can't even deal with it. So I'm just going to stay on the outside. And if people ask me this question, I'm going to semantically dance around it. Not going to lie, but I'm going to just kind of use semantics and, and kind of almost like, you know, Bill Clinton back in the day with Monica and he's like, I didn't have sex with that woman. You're like, okay, well, but what you did was, I mean, come on, it was pretty close. But so I was like a semantic, (laughs) semantic person and I danced around it. So that was a bummer. Now, no woulda, coulda, shouldas. But when I look back, I really could have developed some tight tribes and some tight knit friendships with new people over all those years that I didn't because I was so ashamed. The major way that it affected me was in personal relationships, especially romantic. So I would be so afraid of being rejected by a guy because they'd see me as either, well, you're a liability. You could lose your disability. And I've been fighting an insurance company for 20 years. Like, okay, I could lose my disability. Then what? I have to take care of her. She's a liability. Um, Also, too, you know, I can't do certain things and other people would. Like, I'm not going to be able to clean the house every week and do this and do that and cook, you know, all of that stuff. So for me, I didn't tell people that I dated. I was almost waiting for them to say, I love you or have it moved to a different level so that I could be like, all right, well, if I feel safe, you know, at that point, then I'll reveal it. So I hid this from so many people. In fact, almost everybody I dated over the years, except for maybe a couple. And whenever I would tell the story, um, I would literally be choking, crying. I could not even get through, like just telling you this story. I couldn't even get through it without just not running out of my nose and bawling my eyes out and practically convulsing in just pure shame, embarrassment and fear. And one of the things along the way was that people who knew the story would always say something like well-meaning, but they would always say, I don't understand why you're ashamed. No one's going to care. It's not your fault. And I understand that they're trying to soothe me, but it actually makes the person who has shame go deeper inside and want to hide it because what it's saying is it's basically saying, I'm ridiculous for feeling a sense of shame about this. It it, it could have been a different conversation, you know, bless their hearts, like nobody meant to, you know, they just meant to pep talk me, but it kind of was discounting it. So I just even learned to stop expressing it there as well. And the way it manifested ultimately, and I got my ass handed to me on this one, was about six years ago, I met someone who I thought, okay, this is definitely, you know, the person I'm meant to marry, a wonderful person to this day, wonderful human being. But they were very emotionally unavailable. They showed me they loved me in every single way you can imagine. We had a great relationship, never an argument. So wonderful. However, there was lack of intimacy because there was no verbal intimacy. There were no words of appreciation and and words of love expressed. And so after this experience, I it was such a deal breaker to me because I could not imagine going throughout my life not being, you know, never hearing I love you or having words of intimacy expressed um, from a partner. And we broke up and I was devastated. And I called my life coach at the time and I'm crying and bawling. And I said, you know, this seems like such a cruel joke. You know, here I am. I'm doing all this work on creating my own reality, having a healthy relationship after all the BS, you know, that I went through in life. And, uh, you know, the, the, the universe sends me this almost perfect guy. But the one thing, quote, wrong with him is like an ultimate deal breaker. And it seems like a cruel joke. And he he really said something that hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, so did you tell him about your disability? And I said, no, I didn't. By the way, I dated this person for a year, met their children, spent a lot of time with this person and their family. You know, we were very close. 
I said, no, I didn't. He goes, well, then I guess you're the unemotionally available person. I guess you're the robot. How do you expect to have a connection like that with someone when you can't offer it yourself? And I lost it, Noah. I lost it because it's true, because he was right. He was dead right. And I knew at that moment, I was like, okay, I got to fix this part of my life. I'm confident in every area. I'm confident in achieving goals. Anyone can look up my resume and go, all right, she, she kicked some A in life. I really did. I'm proud of all of my achievements. I'm, I'm very good at that. But here I couldn't manifest a... A, a, you know, a romantic relationship that I wanted because of this shame. And it was really ruining my life. So I started on a journey to become more comfortable with being open about it, kind of coming out about it. Now, here's the thing about shame. It doesn't matter if it's your fault. You could have killed somebody when you were a drunk driver 10 years ago and feel horrible shame about it. You could um, have a mangled, you know, like whatever, have moles on your body you're embarrassed about. Uh, you could be ashamed of uh, you were an addict in the past and, and did things you're not proud of. There's a million ways one can experience shame. There's no better or worse. But the bottom line is this. If you don't deal with it, it's going to seep into your life and it's going to ruin areas that you're probably um, most sensitive about. And it's not to say you have to write a chapter in a book or do a Facebook live, uh, or go on stage and talk about it like me, but you have to get to the point where you have no shame about your shame and you deal with it. And if that's with a therapist or if that's with the coach, and again, some things are better left unsaid for life. You don't have to tell everybody about stuff that happened in your life, but you must deal with it because if you're sitting there and you're, you've got something you're ashamed about that you feel the world is going to reject you for, that is going to be projected outward and you are going to get circumstances and experiences that are not fun or that end badly. Don't go the way you wanted. So I really had to deal with that. And it started with me being open with some people. I called a couple of good friends that I had started friendships with who I didn't toll. And I kind of came out to them first. And then uh, I had an experience. And this is really, there's so much more to the story in the book, but this is really a cool thing that happened. I was talking with a fellow podcaster. Her name is Karen Martell, and she's great. And we had done some interviews together, but we necessarily weren't friends. And we were just kind of talking offline, having a chat, girl chat. And she said, you know, you know, you do all these things. What's your main source of income? Noah, that's a direct hit to someone who had danced semantically around this topic for like 20 years. And in that moment, I thought, all right, I have the chance to keep up the charade of shame. Or I can just give the cliff notes and try it out right here and just be vulnerable and just tell the truth. And I did. And I gave her a little cliff notes version of, of what I just told you. And this was her response. Oh, my God, Elle, that is also my story. I have a hand injury because I was a body worker for 15 years. She was a rolfer. And if you don't know what rolfing is, it's a very, very it's like the most intense body work. You are manipulating people's bodies very strongly with your hands. And again, a repetitive strain injury. And she said, I lost, you know, the use of my hands there and have a disability. And so I had that prompted me to become a, a podcaster and a life coach. I mean, a, a health coach. And it's funny because she'd always wanted to be a health coach uh, and do that, but she thought that was unrealistic. I can't make money of it. It turns out the, the universe cut the golden handcuffs off of her and led her into the life of her dreams. Same with me. When I was younger, I wanted to be an actor and a performer, but I thought it was unrealistic and stupid and uh, thought, well, you can't make any money. That's so unsure. I'm going to go for the sure route. I'm going to go for the direct route to money. Well, as they say, when you make plans, God laughs. And that was my case because the golden handcuffs were cut off of my wrists, figuratively and literally. And I ended up having to go towards what my original dream was as a kid, using my voice, being a performer. Uh, I didn't think it turned out to be writing as well because no one would have guessed that when you have injured hands. But I've been using voice recognition software since like 1998. And I do and I can use my hands for a couple hours a day on the computer, but certainly not eight hours. And so I got off the phone with her. And I bawled my eyes out because if that wasn't a damn sign from the universe that I needed to keep going, the first person who's kind of a stranger that I decide to be honest and vulnerable and open with about my shame has also a hand disability that you can't see. Then it gets crazier. A couple of weeks later, uh, I interviewed a woman on the podcast called Je her name's Jeslyn Moyet, M-O-Y-E-T. 
J-E-Z-L-A-N. She's an international model. She's lovely. And she hosts a show called Ever Talk Live Now and also Good Morning La La Land. And her co-host said, you know, Elle, I think you should interview Jaslyn. She's got a really interesting health story. And I said, okay. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't ask. I figured I would find out on the podcast. Whew. I'm interviewing her and I have to put the microphone on mute because uh, tears are pouring out of my eyes because this is what she says. She said, I got into a freak accident and it severed nearly every tendon and nerve leading to my left arm and my left hand. And after eight hours of emergency surgery, I woke up and I couldn't feel my hand. And I thought to myself, am I ever going to feel a man put a ring on my finger? Very similar to what I experienced, that immediate sense of shame, the immediate sense of, oh, my God, I'm F for life. The immediate sense of, now what? I'm different than the rest of the world. I am suddenly disabled. It is a horrible feeling to have. It changes everything in your life in an instant, and it did for her, too. So this killed me because now here I have the first couple of forays into being having no shame about my shame or just trying to be open and vulnerable with people, I meet two women with hand disabilities that you can't see. And you cannot see Jeslyn's hand disability. If you see her or watch her, she looks completely normal, just like I do. And now I have two women that understand I'm was so instantly less alone, instantly less alone. And one of the things we... Jeslyn and I had talked about offline was that when you have to go in for something with your hands, like she has chronic regional pain syndrome, so she has to go in more often and she is in chronic pain. She can't even go to cold climates. She has to keep her hand warm all the time. Sometimes you'll see her wear a, uh, like a, a, you know, a sweater glove on her, on her wrist. Her situation is definitely more severe than mine in terms of the pain. But one of the things we commiserated with is that like occasionally every couple years or so, I'll go in for a cortisone shot, or if I have to, again, provide documents for the insurance company, et cetera. It's always tough because it's a reminder because we don't want to remember and see ourselves as disabled or limited in any way. And so you're going about your life, you're doing your thing, and then you got to kind of got to go in and it brings it all up again. And here I am commiserating with her about something that's so unique to a person with a hand disability or any disability whatsoever. And I mean, my gosh, never in all of those 20 years had I met a fellow person who had a similar scenario, or I mean, to some degree of, of this sense of shame and and a hand disabled, uh, disability. So I have that chapter labeled Shame Disables Confidence. There's so many more interesting things in that story and how I eventually met Mark Sisson and got to host the podcast. And um, my initial disability of my hand injury, because I didn't have to work, led me to being able to have the time to solve the thyroid problem that came up 10 years later. So one disability led to helping me solve another disability. Both I have written about and I never thought either would be an inspiring story or would help other people. And that's really the point I want to make here is that gifts come wrapped in poop. They do. The best gifts come wrapped in poop. You sometimes have to wait it took many years for me to even see my experience as a positive, but that is, um, I know that's a long one, but that, that, that probably warrants it. Cause you read that chapter and you understand that now you asked me, uh, if you have any questions there, I was going to say, I can move on and tell you what some of my favorite stories or some things I want to point out from the, the book. But you know, people see me. And again, like you said, you're like, I had no idea. It's because when I was talking about the thyroid stuff starting 2016, when I published it, it just, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily in line with it. And I still had shame about it. So even though I had no shame about the hypothyroidism, total TMI in my book, I tell everybody everything. There's nothing I won't talk about when it comes to that. I have no shame about the hypothyroidism, but man, I still carried shame about my disability so much so that I've been working for Mark Sisson for seven years now. And I host his podcast that he started. He is the author of the primal blueprint and keto reset. I, it took me a couple of years to even tell him and the, and I didn't have to, but the reason I did is because he gave me a platform for my voice with my first book and with the podcast. And I want to cry right now. And I'm getting choked up thinking about it because he would have never known the immense gratitude, the levels of gratitude that I had for this gift if he didn't know the full story. 
And I felt really bad about that. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this guy has changed my life and given me um, so much. And he doesn't even know how deep the meaning of that is. So it was a really tough day to have to tell Mark, but if anyone knows him, and even though he's very much like me, he's alpha, no BS type of person. Uh, you know, he's from Maine. He's got that East Coast mentality. He's one of the most incredible men I've ever met, not just filled with an integrity and uh, a funny, lovely, wonderful person. He's very loving, and he was so sweet with me about that. And he said, you know, Al, I didn't even really start my journey into success until I was your age. And so, you know, you've you've gone through this, you're doing what you're doing, and he just gave me a great pep talk, and I was so relieved. I didn't tell the other members of his family. I was very close to his family because I started off being his personal assistant, and when I wrote the book, it's just nice now to have that chapter to be like, here, read my story, you know, because they're the first people I think in my um acknowledgments in the book is the Sisson family because they're all wonderful people and they believed in me, encouraged me, yet... I didn't share with them, you know, and so I also went back to a couple friends who had been very vulnerable and open with me about their lives. And again, that's a one sided relationship because I'm not sharing this other thing. So I went back to a couple people who I felt were important friendships that had started to spark. And I said, I got to come out about something. Just tell you this because you've been so open about your life with me. And yet I you're never going to get to know me. Really, if you don't understand this big, huge, major part of my life, and it's still a part of my life because I still have the disability, but really, really healing. I did a ton of crying, as you can imagine, about this. And the funny thing is, is that everybody was right. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> Nobody cared. Uh, and if they did, F them, right? Don't need those people in my life. Uh <laughs> And now I have no shame about my shame. Uh, if I were on a first date or whatever and someone asked me, I'm completely open about it. I don't cry while telling the story where I could barely get the words out. Um, and so shame disables confidence. So through the book, I talk about like, here's all the pitfalls. Here's the things you need to clean up in life in order to get to the point where you're confident as F. And one of them is dealing with shame. Well, that was uh, – well, now – audience you see why that was you know my favorite uh part of the book and okay the book thank you very much that was a an incredible 15 minutes um i have another question specific one one final specific question from the book for me and then you could say anything you want about the book um and it's a quote that you could contrib contribute to yourself and it's uh, when you compete you lose well that that's a pretty ballsy statement i love it it'll be one of our quotes of the day when you wrote that when you hear that uh, what what comes to mind? Okay, so people might say, well, how, you know, if you're in a competition of any kind, you have to compete. Like, what do you mean you compete, you lose? You're competing to win. Okay, so, but let me explain this and break this down. Let's just take a sports competition. Let's say I were in a sports competition. I'm not, my sense of self-worth by being number one and achieving the number one status and winning whatever that competition is, is not in relationship to kicking everyone else's butt. And haha, I can't wait to beat Susie and Joe and whatever. I'm just competing to be number one. There's a different vibration. My sense of success is only about being number one and achieving the top. And often, by the way, I win stuff. I'm a winner. I've won like every contest I've ever. I mean, I just I win things. Um, and I believe it's because I don't compete. Confident people don't compete. Uh, not against others. They just compete to be the best. There is a different vibration. Confident people also aren't jealous because jealousy is really secretly hoping that the person who has the thing you want to attain that you're jealous of fails. It's hoping someone else is going to fail. That's never going to go right. It's going to backfire right into your soul, people. So one of the things uh, that's really important is understanding this, you know, feeling a lack of in the world or feeling competition is feeling like someone else is going to take over, become better than you at whatever it is. I just don't compete. I don't compete with other women and I don't compete with anyone. So if someone came to me and was like, hey, I want to be a writer in a podcast, I don't see it as a threat. I help them. So I'm down with OPC, other people's confidence, and everyone else should be too. Because if you don't want your confidence chumped on, don't do it to others. And we do it all the time. And this is a big section in the book. I talk about the downer effect and uh, various things like that. It also uh, leads me to a favorite example some people might relate to. We can have stories from our childhood that affect our confidence. 
Okay. Sometimes parents aren't the best. Teachers aren't the best at instilling confidence in us. And the world is going to project their lack of confidence onto you about a thing. And they're also going to be skeptical about perhaps some of your endeavors. So it's interesting because uh, I'll talk about Brandon's story in the book. Brandon grew up in a lovely middle-class household. Everyone was great. Nobody needed a thing. No one was beaten and abused, you know, uh, seemingly lovely. However, Brandon's father, for example, would like, uh, he, he'd be, he lost his hammer and he'd be looking for the hammer all over the house and he'd blame Brandon for it. And Brandon would be like, I didn't take the hammer. I didn't steal it. And he'd be like, yes, you did. Da, da, da. And it would just be a, he was always getting blamed for stuff. And then the dad would like find the hammer and never apologize. Okay. So this was Brandon's story. It was sort of always wrong. Well, how did you think this translated into his employment life? It went right in there like clockwork, like clock, just like straight up out of a book, psychology book. We repeat patterns that are familiar to the us. This is classic psychology, even though they're not healthy. So Brandon became a contractor as an adult and he would be on jobs and inevitably something would go wrong. It wasn't even his fault, but something would go wrong and he would get blamed for it. Hello. Hi pattern, right? Right there. And this kept happening and he would be patronized by the person who, you know, in charge, the, the manager of the project in front of everybody. And so we worked together and I said, we well, you know it's interesting, Brandon, because this doesn't happen to me or anyone else I know. And it's not that I'm a better employee than you. Why are you always wrong? All the why is stuff always going wrong? Why are you always getting blamed? You know, let's talk about that. So we look back into the childhood. We're revealed. Oh, there you go. That was the story and sort of the label that was put on Brandon that he carried through subconsciously into his work life. And so we had to work on um, getting Brandon to the point where the next time this happened with this really nasty manager, he was going to be prepared financially and emotionally to speak up and say something effective. Hey, I'm not going to be spoken to like that unless you talk to me in a civil tone. I'm walking off this job right now. Now, that's very bold. It was not a comfortable position to be in. Sometimes exerting yourself, exuding confidence and speaking up is not comfortable. But what happens often when you bully a bully back or approach one and call them on their shiz, they acquiesce because barely anybody does. So they're often shocked by it. And that's exactly what happened. Now, Brandon did have to prepare to lose the money on said job. Okay, you know, don't be doing that if you need the money, right? Work a situation or get out of it another way. But in this scenario, Brandon did speak up the next time it happened. And it went exactly like how I thought. The person who was the bully crumbled, apologized, never really did it again. And then after that, you can only imagine how Brandon felt so good about himself for finally speaking up and from there on out, attracted jobs and managers of those projects that were grateful and nothing went wrong anymore. You don't have to be wrong or you don't have to be this, whatever it is. So we've got parental garbage to clean up. We all have it. Um, it doesn't matter who you were raised by, parents, grandparents, doesn't matter. You could be raised in a foster care system or an orphanage and had people around you that said, yeah, good luck with that. You'll never be this or, you know, whatever it was. If there's something in your life that's a pattern that doesn't feel good, just as Brandon's employment situations, that's your cue to look at your past. What is it in my childhood or how I grew up that is perpetuating this? And I need to unpack that and look at it further so that I can change it. It was really only in the recognition of it with Brandon. Did we, did he, was he able to see how he was carrying this forward because of his father? And what was really nice is that he started to get emails from the managers on the new projects that would say we had the best time working. Like not just did they go well, he got the appreciation that he deserved. Don't you think? And it did increase Brandon's level of confidence moving forward. Now, usually when you have a challenge that you need to overcome, I find that the universe will throw you a tester every now and then. So just when you think you're beyond it, something will come in to go, have you really mastered this yet? You know, got to speak up. So it did happen once uh, in several years where Brandon backtracked into one scenario where the person was not uh, really a great, great person to them. And they actually handled it very well and was able to speak it, which was great. And that's the thing. You will be challenged occasionally to do that. And Brandon took on that challenge. And then that tester went away. And everything since has been a wonderful work experience. So I talk a lot about that. You know, um, there's a section of my book called your victim application has been denied. We can't 
blame others uh, and continue to go back in life because, again, you know what that really is, people? It's letting someone else's opinion of you, which is likely BS and likely not true, dictate your life. Are you really going to let these effing people win? Not if I can help it, you're not. You're going to win. Don't you dare let these people dictate your future, dictate who you are. So we need to unpack this stuff. And everybody's got it. Everybody's got something. And so, you know, my situation was with my shame and relationships with my disability, but I don't have have the same experience as Brandon. Like, I've always had great jobs. Employers have always loved me. I've always succeeded. I've never had, I don't have people patronize me, often because I am a person who speaks up normally. But here in this one area, I couldn't speak up. I am a person that speaks up. I'm known for this, yet over here I couldn't. And if you think you're going to get away with that in life, you're not. It's going to affect other areas of your life. So that's just one of the stories that's relatable. And I wanted to share that because I think we all have something from childhood that is dictating or we're allowing to dictate our current experience and we can change that. Yes, yes. Now, we're, we're coming to the end, L. Uh, is this book available on all the normal uh, places like Amazon, your website, like how, how does a person get a handle of uh, uh, be able to get this book? Amazon's the best place to go. You can type in the full word F-U-C-K, confident as F-U-C-K. Um, and you can also go to my website, lrust.com, and there'll be a link to also get that book there. And yeah, it's a, you know, it's a really fun, easy read. Um, there's other really great stories in there from my life and other people I've coached and have known. And I think uh, some of the reactions from people I know are they're like, ooh, I really thought I had kind of already dealt with this thing over here, but now I see I've got that this thing too, and ooh, I needed to kind of get exposed. And so it's it's really great. I, it's to inspire everybody to get into the arena of self-examination, and the tagline of the book is like, ditch bad, bad vibes so you can make your dreams a reality. You know what I mean? That's, that's really... We need to move forward. Confident people usually get what they want out of life and achieve their goals and their dreams. Yet, again, the caveat of, hey, there's some pitfalls. Let's clean it up and become confident as F, which is all-encompassing. Yeah. Now, the link will be, of both of Elle's books will be in the show notes. Elle, final question I ask all my guests. Uh, from waking to sleeping, what is uh, a normal daily routine for you? I usually go to bed somewhat early and wake up early, even though I don't have to, but I do, I do like that schedule. Um, I exercise almost every day. That's important to me, even if it's a short walk or it could be a swim. I, I think, you know, obviously I subscribe to the ancestral model of, of eating and, and, and exercise. So that's a dedication to health. And for me, it's a dedication to self-examination and, tapping into other spiritual authors or texts and things that are going to enrich my life. I 100% would say that my biggest advice to anybody is stop watching negative stuff like reality shows where people are fighting. You, it's the worst of our world. You may think you're laughing at it and you may think it's no big deal. It's seeping into your subconscious. So if you're working on happiness or trying to achieve your dreams, you got to limit the news You've got to limit negative input, even if that's really horrible dramas, or are you watching Law and Order every night and now you're having trouble going to sleep? Well, you're looking at murders and rapes and, oh my God, stop filtering this stuff into our mind. So we need to do some news fast, but also negative fast. If you're, if you're in a place where you want to get happier and be more successful, you have to eliminate that. That's not to say that I can't watch a psychological drama every now and then, but it's also the reason I'm not a big fan of horror movies and things like this. I don't need this imprint in my mind. We know people are awful out there in the world. Why are you paying attention to it constantly? And if you don't think it's seeping in your subconscious, you're wrong. It is. I would say try eliminating that and now see how it goes. I watch a ton of comedy, you know, and there's been people who've like healed from breast cancer naturally by just turning their mind around and watching comedy every day and not even having chemotherapy and having that affect their lives. We know that this matters in healing. So... That's one thing I say, look at what you are filtering through reading or through watching and how can you get rid of the negative stuff and infuse more of the positive that's going to really change your life. And that's just a simple thing you can do, you know, no matter where you are.
You know, this is the reason why I love superhero movies, because I want to leave the fuck friggin' movies feeling like a gosh darn superhero, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's why, I, that's why I love the CW, and I love Marvel, and I love DC, and I love comic books, because I want to be a superhero. Uh, Absolutely. Not a bad goal. <laughs> no, well, listen, thanks again for being a return guest. Uh, incredible. It was the easiest podcast I've done in a long time. Uh, you were great. Uh, both, like I said, the link to the both of books will be in the show notes. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoy, your co-host, and you're listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and as my oldest son Hayden says, be awesome and never unawesome. Hello, it's Dr. Noah, and I'm back. I suspect you loved listening to this week's podcast release. Our book of the month is simply incredible and in our estimation a book everyone needs to read. Cancer and the New Biology of Water by author Dr. Thomas Cowan should be on your super short list. Dr. Cowan has been on our podcast twice, once to talk about Dr. Cowan's garden, his nutrient-dense, nutrient-diverse vessel powders, and most recently on November 11, 2019 to discuss his newest book. The link to purchase the book will be in our weekly newsletter and on our social media posted and sent throughout the entire month. Our product of the month is the Juve Red Light Therapy Device. Photobiomodulation has been shown to assist with pain and inflammation release, fitness training and muscle recovery, and hormone regulation to highlight a few of its near countless benefits. As I mentioned, I own a Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them every day. My skin has never looked better and I certainly recover faster from my workouts. On October 8th, 2018, I interviewed the co-owner, Scott Nelson. I highly encourage you to listen and learn more about all the benefits of red light therapy using the juve. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is vitamin D3 boost. It is pretty mainstream now how important vitamin D3 is to your overall health and wellness. What is not mainstream is the nutritional facts that vitamin D3 needs a few other cofactors, vitamins, and minerals to enhance its effectiveness. Recognizing this, we set out to formulate the gold standard for vitamin D3 supplement. Vitamin D3 Boost has the most active form of vitamin D, as well as vitamin K2, magnesium, and a little bit of MCT oil to enhance the absorption of these fat-soluble vitamins. This is truly a world-class vitamin D3 formulation. You can check out the spec sheet and research articles on our website. The 10% discount code for the month of February, and remember, it's case sensitive, it's VITD10. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listen, listening, and be awesome and never unawesome.